0: This event was recorded live at the 2010 Edinburgh International Book Festival.
1: Well, this is fun <laughs> so far. Okay. Oh, okay. and I get to sit.
0: <laughs>
1: Hi, thanks for coming. Um, my name's John Green. That's my job. Oh, sorry, no, sorry, 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 sorry. I just get so excited.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, thank you for coming. Um, to see uh, and to listen to John Green. Welcome everybody to uh, Edinburgh International Book Festival here uh, in Charlotte Square Gardens on a what is basically a beautiful uh, sunny day. So thank you for all coming out of the sun into quite what might be quite a hot tense by the end of the session. Um, my name's Keith Gray, I write for teenagers and young people and it is my very, very great pleasure to welcome uh, John Green along to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Um, from my point of view, John is One of the most uh, original, inventive, exciting and just downright awesome uh, writers. around today. Uh, I better just say, sorry, um, we were going to be joined by another writer called Jenny Valentine, who I I think you know, unfortunately she can't make it today, Um, but she does send her apologies and she hopes we have a really good time, which I'm sure we do, Uh, which I'm sure we will uh, with John. John uh, is originally from uh, Orlando, Florida. Um, We tried to, we did our damnedest to get you some Florida weather over here. We we just get so excited (laughs) by this. It's pretty good. I'm impressed. Um, John uh, is a New York Times best-selling author with four different novels um, Looking for Alaska An Abundance of Catherine's Paper Towns and co-author of Will Grayson, Will Grayson, uh, alongside David Levithan. Uh, John has twice been a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Award. He's been the recipient recipient of the Michael L. Prince uh, Book Prize, uh, and just last year was it won the Edgar Edgar Award for Paper Towns. And Paper Towns is the book we'll uh, mainly be talking about today, although not exclusively, uh, because I'm guessing we've got a few nerd fighters in the audience. <laughs> Yeah, we kind of saw you. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, so yes, we will, of course, be up for anybody that doesn't know, by the way.) Um, <laughs> John and his brother Hank spawned this community uh, online, this community um, of people that are just trying to battle against all things suck <laughs> uh, and the insidiousness of, of suck. It will, for those who don't, it will make sense by the end of the session, <laughs> I promise. Uh, but please join me in welcoming just the exceptional Mr. John
1: Green to Edinburgh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, And I would like, uh, I'm going to read to you very, very briefly, um, and maybe just say about 10 words about what I read. But I also, I'm wondering if you could say good morning to my brother, Hank. Um, For those of you who don't know, each of our videos begins, uh, I either say, good morning, Hank, or Hank says, good morning, John. And then we go on and prattle for about two or three or four minutes. Um, So you're, um, wow, pensy prep fencing. (laughs) That's a Catcher in the Rye joke. This guy has a shirt that says Pensy Prep Fencing. That's the school from Catcher in the Rye. That's what Holden Caulfield is doing when he leaves his, uh, his uh, fencing materials on the subway. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Probably only really exciting to me, but incredibly exciting to me. Um, I want your shirt. I will pay you however much it costs. Um, so if you could just say good morning, heck, it's Monday on 3123. Three. Good morning, guys. it's Monday. Thank you. That part being done, I'm trying to make it as hard as possible on the person in the back, sorry. Um, I just want to read um, one page from my book, a uh, page and three lines uh, from the very beginning. So this book is about a girl named Margaret Roth Spiegelman and, and the boy who lives next door to her, Quentin Jacobson. Quentin is the narrator of the novel, and he has been in love with this girl since before he knew what love was and um like everyone who who falls in love the the person with whom he has fallen in love is absolutely nothing like the the actual person margot roth spiegelman so that said this is the first page of the prologue the way i figure it everyone gets a miracle like i will probably never be struck by lightning or win a nobel prize or become the dictator of a small nation in the Pacific Islands or contract terminal ear cancer? Or can I? Uh, I'm going to stop. Um, so for those of you who have been watching our videos for a long time, you know that in 2007, I had a really serious uh, infection that was both in my eye and behind my eye and the tissue between the eye and the brain. And there was some thought that I might either lose my vision or um, become deceased. And uh, uh, that line, uh, when that all went down, was or contract terminal eye cancer. Um, and then while I was like in the hospital staring up at this, the popcorn ceiling for eight days, I thought to myself, you know, just in case, um, I'm going to change that. <laughs> so if you want to know the fancy literary reasons why these things happen, there you go. Uh, or contract terminal ear cancer or spontaneously combust. But if you consider all the unlikely things together, At least one of them will probably happen to each of us. I could have seen it rain frogs. I could have stepped foot on Mars. I could have been eaten by a whale. I could have married the Queen of England or survived months at sea. But my miracle was different. My miracle was this. Out of all the houses, in all the subdivisions, in all of Florida, I ended up living next door to Margot Roth Spiegelman. Our subdivision, Jefferson Park, it used to be a Navy base, but then the Navy didn't need it anymore, so it turned the land over to the citizens of Orlando, Florida, who decided to build a massive subdivision because that's what Florida does with land. My parents and Margo's parents ended up moving next door to one another just after the first houses were built. Margo and I were two. But before Jefferson Park was a Pleasantville and before it was a Navy base, it belonged to an actual Jefferson, this guy, Dr. Jefferson Jefferson, Dr. Jefferson Jefferson has a school named after him in Orlando and also this huge charitable foundation. But the fascinating and unbelievable but true thing about Dr. Jefferson Jefferson is that he was not a doctor of any kind. He was just an orange juice salesman named Jefferson Jefferson. And when he became rich and powerful, he went to court, made Jefferson his middle name, and changed his first name to Doctor, capital D, lowercase r, period. So that's the beginning of the book.
0: Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I'm going to ask uh, John a few questions now, a few questions that uh, are on my mind uh, as a fan. Uh, and we will open it up to the floor a little bit later on for you to ask, uh, ask a few questions as well, because I'm sure you've, you've got quite a few yourselves. Uh, and there will be a signing at the end of the whole event. We'll have a signing just in the children's book tent uh, next door. But please let me get John out uh, before you all surge forward to try and get signatures. We'll get him out and get him in there if you wouldn't mind queuing up. Um, but OK, uh, a couple of questions from me, if that's OK, before, yeah, we, before we, we go out to them. Um, one of the things I've really loved about uh, about reading your books is, I mean, pretty much in you know, all, there is a complete and unabashed love of literature, uh, a love of the literary, not just in the way they're actually written, but also uh, in the characters' favored reads as well. Uh, I mean, Alaska, you know, she, she describes herself, uh, or her, her dorm room, as a, as a library. Um, and Walt Whitman's poem, uh, Leaves Grass, of course, is, is quite quite important to the plot of Paper Towns. Um, where did you get your, your love of, of
1: the literary from? Well, I mean, th- there's two things going on there. I think the first is that uh, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm not the first person ever to have written a book. Um, and I, I think my characters would be conscious of that as well. The second thing is that I really like writing about smart kids. Um, frankly, kids who are smarter than I was when I was in high school, um, which is a low bar. <laughs> uh, but you know, and I like writing about nerds. Um, and I, I and the reason for that is that I, I in all of my work, I want to celebrate intellectualism. You know, I want to celebrate the idea that rational thought. Uh, an endangered idea, I must say, in uh, my home country. But the idea that rational thought uh, can be helpful and can lead to, um, uh, can, can lead to a, a better world and a better life for the people who inhabit the world. Um, so that's a big part of it. Uh, but my love of the literary comes from my belief that literature is in the business of tr- tr- sort of trying to put the broken world back together, uh, which is a very serious and very important thing. Um, and there are a lot of writers who uh, lived before us, and also who live now, who are much better at that than I am. And um, if my books can steer people to those writers, then I'm very happy. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, the, the General in His Labyrinth, which is an important part of Looking for Alaska, uh, sells better now than it used to before Looking for Alaska came out. Oh, right, and his Mac has, at has, at in, has, in has the been the in States. touch to say thank you. Is it, you know, he's, he's never what? mentioned it. Um, <laughs> No, he hasn't called me. He is like eighty-eight, you yeah. know, so he may not know. Um, <laughs> it's worth getting in touch. <laughs> yeah, just being like, I don't know if you know this, but you're like, uh, at least like four hundred of your dollars are because of me. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I did hear him speak once actually, and uh, he he had just uh, he said to the uh, like the announcer he he had just got, received this award. This is Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and he said to the announcer, uh, "How long should I speak?" And the announcer said, "Oh, just just a minute or so." And Marquez said, an eternity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll be a bit, bit more polite today for you. Um, uh, but th- so what was you reading, though? What was you reading uh, when you, you know, what was, what was doing it for uh, you? What was turning you on as you was reading it?
1: Sketch the Rye <laughs> uh, was a very important book to me when I was a teenager. It was, my, it was the first time that I was able to read a novel critically. You know, like, thinking about the, the ducks in the pond. Um, so in that book, uh, there's this kid, Holden Caulfield who's obsessed with these ducks on, on the pond in Central Park. He's worried about what happens to them in winter. You know, do they like when the, when the pond freezes over, where do they go? What do they do? Uh, and, and he can't get this question out of his head and he asks all these different adults what happens to the, to the ducks when, when, in winter? And what he wants to know is not what happens to the ducks in winter, but what is going to happen to me when I uh, am no longer a child and have to take care of myself, you know when, when, when the ice, of this pond of childhood freezes over. Uh, that was the first time that, I, that I, I connected to metaphor and to sort of critical reading, and that was hugely important for me uh, because that was when I realized that like, metaphor wasn't something that my English teachers were just going on about for the purpose of making my life harder, uh, but was in fact a way into big, important ideas that you can't get at, literally. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that book was really important to me. Um, I also really, when I was uh, in high school, I really loved Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, I loved Toni Morrison. Uh, this is uh, not tremendously high schooly or or, or necessarily uh, stereotypically male of me, but I really like Jane Austen. Okay. Um, so I really dug Persuasion, and yeah. Yeah? yeah. yeah. No, that's fair. Would you have read You? Uh, probably not. No. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, it's interesting, because I don't know if I would have like, these kinds of books didn't exist, at least in that section of the bookstore, when I was in high school. So I was very like not the kind of person who fancied himself the kind of person who read young adult novels. Um, I felt very literary. Um, And so I probably never would have gone to that section of the bookstore. That said, um, I try to write the kind of novels that I would
0: have liked. I, I, guess I think that's from my point of view. Definitely, that's what you're expanding in, in this kind of this sort of genre, if you like. Um, there's a there's a stand-up uh, comedian in the UK. Uh, it, it, it's on the fringe actually uh, this year, called Stuart Lee, and he's been quoted as saying, "If you only ever read one book in your lifetime, I recommend you keep your mouth shut."
1: <laughs> would, would you agree with that? Would you? Yeah, man. I mean, you can't. I. Yeah, it's. It's difficult, because we do not live in an age of reading. Uh, We live in an age of, well, we do live in an age of reading, but we live in an age of very short form reading, like Twitter. Uh, Right? Like, a great thing about Twitter, uh, I hate Twitter. I hope no one's recording me saying that. (laughs) Um, I think I'm the only person with a million Twitter followers who genuinely hates Twitter. Um, But I believe that I I should go where you go, um, and you are there. And so I am there. Um, but I don't have to like it. Uh, same, yeah. I feel that way about some of your TV shows as well. Um, I am willing to watch them with you, but I don't have to like them. Um, so we can talk about that later. So here, the, the thing though is, uh, yeah, I, we live in this age where short form reading, uh, Facebook updates, if you're re- or you're reading about your friends, which makes reading more attractive, or you're reading their Skype messages, or whatever. The, the, the long-form narrative reading is much more difficult because it requires an extended period of quiet. And extended periods of quiet are precisely what we are all trying to avoid because extended periods of quiet are the times when we must confront the reality of our situation as a species, which is not um, that great. So, uh, I think that like we spend a lot of time trying to avoid that by uh you know watching Batman movies and uh um you know and, and that kind of thing, um, which is great and very valuable. It used to be that the way to avoid confronting the truth about our species was to read novels yeah. uh, because we didn't have these uh forms of media that like just go into the base of our brain and don't require us to think or translate the work um, so yeah, i mean i that concerns me. Uh, and people who only read one book concern me.
0: <laughs> well, actually, although, could, could you say, uh, through your own books, could you say that books are maybe a little bit dangerous? Because Alaska's a, a huge, huge reader. And Margot in Paper Towns, you know, it's, it's her that's doing a lot of the Walt Whitman quoting right. and so on and so forth. Yeah. But reading, actually, has opened their minds to a certain state, perhaps, or a certain right. self- of insanity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs>
1: No, that's kind of true. I mean, I, I, well, I think, that, um, I think that being contemplative does lend itself to a measure of insanity um, because, or, or what would be considered insane by contemporary <laughs> uh, standards. Um, yeah, if you, if you make time to be, and uh, many of us know this as readers, if you make time to have long stretches of, of quiet thoughtfulness, uh, which is a very difficult thing to do in our world, But if you make that time, then the stuff that you choose to think about is better, uh, but also harder than the stuff that you choose to think about if you're sort of acting on your default settings, right? So you will think less about Lindsay Lohan as you read more novels. um, And then you will think more about Lindsay Lohan as you read fewer novels. I think that's, I think there's some kind of curve there. I'm not a mathematician, (laughs) but. It's, there's a functional graph that I could make for you if I needed to. Colin could make it. Colin could, could make, make it, it, it in abundance of Catherine's. He could do it in a second. So, yeah, I'm a big believer um, in, since we choose what to think about, we should choose wisely, uh, but we should choose with the understanding that, you know, the, the truth of the world is difficult and complex, and yeah. that needs to be reflected. OK.
0: Sorry, we are talking mainly about paper. Would you mind, I'm sure there's one, maybe two people in the audience that don't know uh, about Paper Township would yet. You, would you mind telling us a little sure. bit
1: about it? Sure. Uh, so this, is, this book um, that uh, begins in this horrid subdivision of Orlando, Florida, where I, I grew up, um, it's not really called Jefferson Park, but it's called Baldwin Park. Um, and everything about that is true. It was a Navy base. That's all true. Um, these two kids live next door to each other. They have very different lives. Quentin is, is a good boy. He's a band geek who's not in the band because he's tone deaf. Um, and he's this girl, Margaret Spiegelman, is just this girl he's in love with, who is the most popular girl at their school and uh, the best looking, and the girl who sort of just runs the show, you know, in, in the, the way that there is always one girl who does that at a school. And out of nowhere, after nine years of not really talking to him, she shows up at his door, at his window one night, and takes him on this crazy all-night adventure through the streets of Orlando that culminates with them breaking into SeaWorld. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like there's like whales. And
0: it's a very (laughs) weird
1: thing that we do in America, where we put whales in uh, tanks, and then we look at them. Um, But you have to pay like 30 bucks to look at the whales in the tanks. you are in a better situation because you just have the ocean. But we don't have that in Orlando. Um, so we had to put them in tanks. Uh, right. So um, yeah, so that's the, uh, that's the setup. And then he thinks that this is the beginning of like their life together, that they're going to kind of hook up or something. And he misinterprets everything about that night wrong because he completely fails to understand Margot. And what she's actually doing is very much what Holden is doing throughout Catcher in the Rye. She's saying, I am alone. I I am leaving. I cannot do this anymore. And the next morning, he wakes up, and she's gone. And it's not clear if she ran away or if she committed suicide. And it sort of falls to him to find out what happened to her, partly because she's left clues for him uh, in a copy of this uh, book of poems by Walt Whitman.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, you were saying um, one thing. I, I say that you're not shy of romance. No, for no, no, for a for, a, for, a, <laughs> for a, a, a young bloke that's kind of um, writing. I, I, aren't you scared of, of, of frightening off some of the, the, the young men out there reading? It's not a it's not a known concept so much within uh, young adult fiction. Men writing so so beautifully about romance and so sensitively about romance, which is it runs through all the novels. Well,
1: thanks. Yeah, I, I, you know the secret about boys, and this is a terrible secret that I'm about to tell on <laughs> on us, is that like this this uh, this very pervasive myth that we all men want, particularly young men, particularly teenage men, is sex is could not be more wrong, uh, and in fact that is. Uh, not even really, has nothing to do with what we want. What we want is precisely what, what women want and what all human beings want, which is to be acknowledged and to be cared for and to, have, to feel that our, uh, our, our joy is being shared with those uh, whom we would want to share it with and that our pain is being shared with those whom we would want to share it with. That's what we want. We want uh, to be loved and we want to be uh, cared for, and we also want to have the opportunity to love and to care for others. Uh, that's far, far more embarrassing than just saying that we want to get laid, um, which is probably why we all act like we want to get laid. <laughs> um, but that's the truth. And I think when, when guys read my books, it's all about how they're marketed. Because if, they're, if they have uh, flowers on the cover, then it might be hard, a hard sell. Yeah. But if, um, you know, if they just have gigantic um, uh, stick pins on the <laughs> cover, um, then you don't, you don't know that that's going to be in the book. And, and then I think when guys read it, they, uh, you know, because they're reading it privately, because reading is basically a private activity, they're able to acknowledge that they like it without having to, like, talk about the fact that they like it. And that's, that makes it okay.
0: And can I ask you a personal question? Yeah
1: um you're married yeah i am
0: did, did your wife ever read the books and say that character's really romantic why didn't you do that for
1: me <laughs> <laughs> yeah in will grayson actually in will grayson this uh the boy is like very very sweet um and they like, really like a nice guy and i'm yeah
0: i was like that i was like that when we started
1: dating like i did a series of like massive romantic gestures which like, let me give you advice, romantic boys in the audience, um, which is to say all of you. Um, uh, measure your, your romance. <laughs> uh, because sometimes um, what, what we think of as like, a really lovely gesture comes off as really stalkery, you know, like, <laughs> kind of really creepy. Um, so ask yourself, like, is this creepy or is this just nice?
0: <laughs> good point, no, very good point. Um, yeah, if you don't take anything else away from the day, yeah, I seriously, yeah, that's, that's, measure. That's measure your <laughs> gestures.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I still try to be. I, I, yeah, I still try to be reasonably good. Yeah. No, um, but it,
0: it does show throughout all the novels this this strong strong streak of romance, uh, and in Paper Towns, it's um, it's Cube's feelings for Margot that, that's driving the plot forward, and in the first oh, 60, 70 pages, there's more there's an invention of the the Wild Night of Revenge, than there is in some novels. You get in two hundred pages. I, I was reading it and I was thinking, a lot of people would just try and spread that across a whole novel and save the second act, the road trip part, they'd save that for a, for a, a, a further novel down the line, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you you put it all together. You put everything in. Uh, was did it grow organically the novel, or did you did you plot it out that way?
1: I, it did grow organically, but I, I had this idea for a structure for it pretty early on. Um, because, uh, well, there were a couple things that made me want to st- structure it in, in, in three parts. But the main one was that there are sort of three meanings of the phrase "paper towns," yeah. um, uh, and so that was that was the main driving force for the structure. Um, but I kept like changing around what I, exactly what I wanted it to be like for a long time. F. Scott Fitzgerald wanted to call *The Great Gatsby* uh, "Under the Red, White, and Blue." And they wouldn't let him change the title at the last second because it had already gone to print. And I really I wanted to call it Under the Red, the the White and the Blue, um, which in retrospect would have just been like way way too pretentious <laughs> and like far too bold of a statement, you know. Um, but I had this idea that the first part would be the red, the second part would be the white, the third part would be the blue. But then finally I settled on this idea that it was going to be each sort of the metaphors that they're using in that part to construct what relationships are like, what. Connectedness between human beings is like. Yeah. Um, and so that was really the driving force behind the structure. And I wanted that first part to be all, um, yeah, all action so that they would forgive me for the second part where it's all poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Talking a little bit then, moving um, on, talking a little bit
0: about your uh, online presence and, and the nerd fighting that's going on, uh, and actually tying it into something you, you said earlier. You said um, people reading about Friends. You know, I, I was wondering, you, you've got such a huge presence on the internet and on your eighty-first most subscribed 82nd. channel, eighty-second 82nd most <laughs> subscribed. We're channel dry, and dropping, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, yeah, on YouTube. Um, you know, a few years ago, not too few years ago, writers, authors, they were hidden by the books almost. You never got to know the author. Um, but you're, you're very in the face of, of your readership. I mean, the, seriously, is, could you put up your hands here if you genuinely think that you're, kind of, you're friendly with, with John? Because you, you see him so much on YouTube and you feel uh, a friendship, a connection with a guy. And can you keep your hands up if you've ever met him before?
1: Yeah, it kind of... <laughs> And so, but I must was must it like an hour ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> it was right before this. We had the thing on top of a hill. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know that that really counts. <laughs>
0: yeah. But that, I think that's, that's very interesting at uh, this day and age, this digital day and age, that readers can feel so they're getting yeah. closer. But from a writer's point of view, uh, Paper Towns, uh, Will Grayson, Will Grayson, uh, Looking for a- The First Person Narratives. Are you ever worried that you've got to up your game? You've got to write harder. To make your character distinctive to you, when you're writing, you're writing, I did this, I did that, but it's not you; it's the character. They know you so well. Are they going to get confused that, that yeah. the character is you, that Q is you? Do you worry about that?
1: Yeah, I worry about that a lot, and it's really problematic. And the whole, uh, to be honest, the whole relationship dynamic is really kind of confusing and muddled. There's a great part not to talk about Catching the Right for the seventy-third time. I'm sorry, <laughs> I do, I have read other books. Um, <laughs> But there's a great and famous part of Catching the Rye where uh, Holden Caulfield talks about how, you know, when he, his favorite books are the ones where he puts it down and he feels like at the end that he could be great friends with the author and he wishes that he could just phone the author up. And that's another moment where Holden is like looking to, uh, fi- trying to find some adult who is not a complete idiot um, and who cares about him. Um, Uh, But that feeling uh, is also a feeling that I had when I read novels. When I was a teenager, I remember closing books like like The Mysteries of Pittsburgh uh, by Michael Chabon or uh, The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Um, And I closed the book and thought to myself, God, I wish that I knew that guy, you know, and we could go out to lunch and we could, uh, you know, and I could uh, talk to him about girls. and, And I really would feel that way about the novels that I loved when I was in... High school, Vonnegut was the same way for me, and now uh, that is totally sort of, kind of possible, yeah. right? I mean, you can uh, you can email someone, uh, and that that has made it so much easier. Um, and uh, but it's also very problematic uh, because the truth is. Uh, that the reason that you finish that book and you close that book and you think I want to be friends with that person is precisely because you don't know them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, is the the true life of, of J.D. Salinger is someone I. I wouldn't have liked at all. I don't think. I mean, I, I suspect that I wouldn't have enjoyed spending time with him at all. From everything I know about him, he was just a, you know, a total creeper, um, who you know liked to like bring like twenty-year-old girls to his house for six months and then dump them, um, which is a very different worldview from the one that I have. I promise. Um, and. Uh, and and I don't think you know, and 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 uh, in hanging out with the people, the book would be completely ruined because every time you read the rest of their books, you'd be drawn out of the narrative all the time because you'd see all these things that are actually actually happening in real life. And I do I worry about that a lot with my work, um, particularly with Paper Towns be, and Will Grayson, Will Grayson, because they were both written largely during the video blogging process. And so people will see see things, and then two years later see some pale reflection of that in a book. And I don't want them to be drawn out of the narrative. I mean, the whole idea of writing a novel is that it will be this immersive, it's a really interesting question. Sorry to be going on and on. No, no, it's fine. Um, It will be this whole immersive experience that you, you uh, you, you don't feel like it was written by someone. You feel like it is a story that's occurring inside of your head that's allowing you access to the minds of other people, um, and so I do. I worry about that a lot. On the other hand, uh, we all, we live in a we live in a world that is so hyperconnected that I would feel um, bad if I weren't reaching out to my readers um, and having kind of you know extra literary conversations, having conversations about books. Um, B, I like making stuff for people other than books. And um, that puts me in an unfortunate position of either having to find a way to make it anonymously, where I'm making videos, but they're like, oh, this is a stranger. <laughs> uh, or whatever, like disguising my voice. And, and I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. You know, the great thing about uh, the, what I love about online video is precisely what I love about books, which is that um, it's not making something for someone. Uh, the way that a lot of media is. It's making something with someone. So when you write a novel, when you write something, as you well know, it, doesn't, y- it comes to life in the reader in a, very spe- in, a, in a way that's very specific to that reader yeah. because of that act of translation where it's you know, just meaningless scratches on a page that you turn into um, ideas. Like, uh, I just got the uh, Chinese edition of all of my books at once. They sent them to me in the mail, all all three of them. And I had no idea which was which. (laughs) It took me forever. Uh, I ended up having to take screenshots, like take pictures of each of the books, and email them to my friend and say, which one of these would you say is most likely to be Paper Towns, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I can't translate the code. Uh, But to to readers who read Chinese, they can translate the code, and this story comes to life inside of them in a way it literally can't for me, even though I wrote the stupid book. So that, that act of co-creation where I'm making something with you is really exciting to me. And what I like about YouTube is that I'm making something with you because you're commenting and making video responses and also because we're doing stuff together, whether it's building a pond sand filter in rural Bangladesh or raising money for Haiti or like doing happy dances all over the world and then making them into one video. Whatever it is, like is, we're doing something together. Uh, there's a YouTuber here, Little Ranch, who just made a video where it was like this epic Gadan video. For those of you who don't know what Gadan is, I can't explain it, but it's like this weird Japanese dance that's become, is it even Japanese? Yes, definitely. Uh, OK. That's become very big on the internet, where you just you, you still still screen yourself doing various <laughs> poses. And then you use video editing software to make it look like you're dancing, even though you're not dancing, and you're doing all these impossible dance moves. And he did it with like 200 people. And that, that, to me, is making something with people, which is very exciting in a way that making something for people, frankly, like, just bores the crap out of me. And I would much rather be in finance. <laughs> um, which is not a dig at finance. I really would like to be in finance. I think it's fascinating <laughs> and lucrative.
0: Well, let's go, talking about the, the YouTube and that, let's go back to the beginning. Um, how did uh, Brotherhood 2.0 start? Where, where did it come from? How did that sort of kick off?
1: Well, uh, I, was, I was watching a lot of internet video in 2006. I was really, really interested in it, partly because um, I had this, uh, I had this uh, tooth abscess that was incredibly painful and I couldn't write. Uh, so I was just on the internet all the time trying to distract myself from the hideous pain of this tooth and the, the World Cup was on and it totally ruined the World Cup for me that year. Uh, anyway, I have to switch hands because I just complained, I have to switch bracelet hands. Oh, Can you, um, can you explain that as yeah, well? I'm so? Yeah, I'm doing this thing where I switch bracelet hands every time I complain. It's based on a book that I haven't read but <laughs> uh, you, try, you try to go 31 days without complaining and I, I can't even go like an hour. Um, <laughs> So anyway, uh, <laughs> Wah, wah, the World Cup was ruined for me. So, <laughs> but I was watching all these internet videos. I was watching this guy called Zay Frank, who was brilliant. And I was watching Lonely Girl 15, which is this weird web video series where you weren't sure if it was fiction or not. And my brother, who I wasn't very close to, lived across the country from me. And because I went to boarding school, I didn't know him after I was 11. And we uh, stayed in touch exclusively through instant messaging. And I was instant messaging with him one day. And I, I was talking about how you know, the instant messaging was kind of creating more distance in some ways and not less. And we together developed this idea to do videos instead of instant messaging. But the idea was that like 30 people would watch because 30 people liked my books at the time. <laughs> um, and so we figured those 30 people might watch and we'd be able to kind of have fun with them. And we did. That's exactly what happened. There were 30 people watching and we had a lot of fun with them. And uh, we, the 30 of, 32 of us made stuff together and then there were like 60. And then my brother wrote a song about Harry Potter. And there were like <laughs> 10,000. Um, and now there are many more.
0: And how did that le- lead on to the Nerdfighting vi- website and that kind of Uh Yeah. Thing?
1: So when there were 32 of us, I was playing this video game called Arrow Fighters. But the font makes it look like it's called Nerdfighters. And I put this in a video where I talked about how the font looked like it was called Nerdfighters. And then they just started calling themselves Nerdfighters. And then we had to sort of re- reverse engineer a reason to <laughs> call ourselves that. Um, and it, well, I mean, we are nerds, so that was easy enough. Um, but it was like, you know, like freedom fighters ostensibly fight for freedom. Yeah. So we ostensibly fight for, for nerd, nerd culture and nerd rights and yeah, all that stuff. And you're trying to get, you're trying to get it in
0: the dictionary in America?
1: Is that right? Yeah, That's no. It, we, it, we, uh, we want to get it to be the word of the year. <laughs> Because they a couple of years ago they made woot the word of the year <laughs> okay. which is so over, like how that, could like that was they made woot the word of the year in two thousand and eight, and I haven't even thought of the word "woot" in at least eighteen months. <laughs> well, you brought it back to us here and Adam wrote yeah
0: put so so. it back again um okay, well um. Oh, we've got a, quite, a, uh, quite a bit of time still to go. Well, we can open up to questions well, and then yeah, maybe... Is that okay if we, we jump to you lot for questions? Uh, we've got a, a roving microphone, um, so please wait until... I know it's a fairly small tent, but please wait until the microphone comes to you so we can hear you. Uh, but uh, put your hands up and we'll, we'll get a few questions we'll from the audience
1: if anybody would like to ask anything. Yes, the person who raised their hand first.
0: Should be? Give it a go. Give it a go. it's not on. Oh. Oh, hold it close to your mouth. Hi, it's not on. Oh, it's not on Shout and I'll repeat it. Yeah, okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Would you pass the microphone back now? will it out. Yeah, what's your question? Yeah. And um, when you're writing, do you feel yourself, this is very personal, sorry, this it's too personal. Okay. Um, do you feel yourself kind of um, becoming your teenage self again to write this character? OK, did you, I'll just repeat that for everybody, just in case you hear the back. Two-part question. Uh, when writing, uh, how close are the characters you're writing about to you, really? And how how uh, deep do you get into those characters that you, you feel yourself reverting to your, your own teenage years? Uh, that's about right, yeah?
1: Well, definitionally, they're all me, because they aren't created by anyone else. Um, so I mean, I can't deny that they have connections to me because they came out of my, my head. Um, and I don't think that you ever know what it's like to be someone else as completely as you know what it's like to be yourself, which is a huge problem uh, with being um, a person, although also really good in some ways. Um, it makes it really hard for us to connect as deeply as we would like to connect with each other and for other people to um, kind of apprehend our wonderfulness. um, uh, And in turn, for us to apprehend theirs, although that's less of a problem. Um, But uh, it's also advantageous in some ways. So I I mean, some of the characters are very much like my high school self, like Ben in Paper Towns, who's really, he calls uh, girls honey bunnies. And um, he has all of these like romantic strategies that are terrible. And, uh, but he's very confident until a girl wants to kiss him and then, you know, he just like runs away like a, like a little um, child. Uh, that's very much like my high school self. Um, and then, the cha- you know, the character who I probably personally connect to the most in terms of emo- like feelings in, in any of my novels is Alaska, because I felt very self-destructive in high school and very um, out of control, and like I didn't have um, I didn't have a, any like tether. Some I, I felt like everyone else was tied to the ground in a way that I wasn't, and that was scary to me. Um, and so I, I connect to her, although I'm not hot or a girl. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, and but all of them, I think, have facets of me. I, I try not to write a character who I don't um, care about um, and who I can't empathize with. Uh, as far as um, do I feel like I'm reverting to my high school self? Not really. Uh, it's, it's, I, feel, I, I, I feel like I'm nobody. I, I mean, that's what I like about writing, is that I feel like all of my personhood goes away, which is nice, because I hate all of that. Like I, I can't. That's what makes it so hard for, for anybody, I think. So I, I feel like I'm floating in the sky and nothing is happening the way drug addicts feel when they're on drugs <laughs> i think
0: so. so writing's an addiction for you. it's
1: an addiction yeah but uh, but yeah i guess but an addiction that i find it amazingly easy to give up <laughs> <laughs> At times.
0: So I was going to ask you actually where the, the counts of Alaska and Margot came from. So there's quite a bit of you in Alaska. What about in Margot in Paper Towns? Well,
1: two, two things. First Margot's kind of response to Alaska, uh, to the novel Looking for Alaska, because I'm not going to give any spoilers, but the plot of Alaska is such that the kind of mystery and majesty of this girl who is being talked about by a boy and therefore being put on a pedestal, that lie is kind of never punctured in Looking for Alaska. Like, just the arc of the novel is such that, that the lie of people who are more than people is never punctured. And that began to trouble me, partly because of my book, but also partly because of other books that became popular in the interim years where there would be uh, these characters who were godlike romantic others um, and who never had to pee and who sparkled in the sunshine. Uh, and I became really fascinated by this idea that like, there could be a legitimate romantic other who was so far from being a human, not just in the sense of being a vampire, but in the sense of being, like, ridiculous. Um, And that we could still find that like that they revealed something about the way we are when we are attracted to someone, which is that we literally think that they sparkle in the sunshine and don't pee. Um, And uh, so that's part of where Margot came from. I wanted to write a story in which that lie was revealed. Um, And then partly there was this guy I went to high school with named John Malden, who was just amazing. And I'm just completely enthralled with him. And he did all this kind of, like, when we were in high school, John Malden, we were juniors. So you cannot travel to Cuba if you are American. It is illegal. And you certainly cannot do business in Cuba. It is super illegal. Junior year, I was working at Baskin Robbins, which is an ice cream shop. And it was June 3rd, like the second day of summer. And I was working at Baskin Robbins, and John Malden came by, and I was like, "You're not working this summer? You don't have a job?" And he said, I, "I got something. I'm working on something," and I was like, "You got like McDonald's? What do you got lined up?" <laughs> and. Uh, he buys 200 pairs of Levi jeans. He puts them in six suitcases. He drives to Mexico. He flies to Cuba with his six suitcases. <laughs> he sells the blue jeans on the black market in Havana. He flies back to Mexico. Drives back to Alabama, where we were living at the time. And on like June 8th, comes to work. Buys like a double scoop of Haagen-Dazs ice cream with four of the six thousand dollars that he made in the last three days. <laughs> That's the kind of person John Malden is. <laughs> He now runs, like, a Turkish pomegranate juice conserve. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, he was arrested in Afghanistan right after 9-11. That's the kind of life that John Malden has had. Um, they were like, why are you here? And he was like, it's awesome. <laughs> this is the Silk Road. This is where <laughs> everything meets.
0: <laughs> uh, has anybody got another one? Another question, please. We've uh, uh, got the microphone uh, this time.
1: Uh, Percy Prep Fencing. You have an another advantage. Phone. Uh, Hold it close. uh, Yeah, you uh, talk about sort of the internet connectedness because of the internet. Do you feel that you wouldn't have been able to write Will Grayson, Will Grayson, if it hadn't been for the internet? Well, I couldn't have written written any of my novels without the internet. Um, This is particularly, this is literally true with all of them. Uh, I would not know all all the the last words of all the famous people who are, uh, my first novel, Looking for Alaska, is about a guy who memorizes the last words of famous people, which I also do. But um, because of the internet, I have access to far more last words than any normal person ever would um, pre-internet. Paper Towns, I would never have found out about the idea of Paper Towns, about this weird cartographic phenomenon of copyright traps without the internet. And indeed, that's something that was only known to cartographers until the internet sort of broke the story WikiLeaks style. Um, And An Abundance of Catherine's I couldn't have written because I don't know how to anagram. Um, And this book is all about anagrams. And there are. You didn't are
0: come up with those anagrams. No, God oh. no.
1: <laughs> That's what such. What uh, do you think I am? i have kind of genius. Yes. Uh, no. No, I used the internet. I used I rearrangement servant, which anagrams to internet anagram server. Um, and my poor Dutch translator was there. With, I visited her at her house, and she was there with a the Scrabble board, patiently anagramming. And I was like, Oh, they got a Dutch version of this website. I'll show it to you. She was just furious with me. For not mentioning that earlier, um, and uh, but no, I couldn't write my novels without the internet, um, and I, I think that's a that, that's an interesting thing about contemporary fiction is that it's become so linked, um, but the world is no longer separable from the internet. I mean, is this thing happening here an internet thing or a real life thing? It's very difficult to say because it wouldn't happen without the internet, but it, it seems to be happening in real life. So, you know, it's both. That's an interesting question. Yes. Another one. Do you want to go? F- uh, in the back? Further back. Further back? Okay. Sorry, person with teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fine.
0: Sorry. Um, so uh, you said, you were talking earlier about how uh, young adult fiction has changed since you were a young adult. Yeah. Um, how do you think that? uh like nerd dumb and even specifically like literary nerd dumb has changed and or stayed the same uh, since back then um, <laughs> and I
1: I, I I understand what you meant by back then <laughs> um, you meant that time when I hadn't been born yet
0: yeah <laughs> um and then also do you think uh that <laughs>
1: I'm so old. Um. <laughs> oh my god! Um, also, do I think that?
0: Also, do you think that, um, like, like how how has the internet and even Nerdfighteria, et cetera, impacted that, in your opinion?
1: Well, in my personal life, it's it's uh, been quite dramatic because a lot more people read my books, and also because the conversation about my books has become so much uh, better and different as a result of uh, the internet. Uh, you know that we can talk uh, about them, and that you can talk with people. So you don't have to get your friends to read Paper Towns in order to talk about Paper Towns with people, which is a huge advantage uh, in some ways. Maybe a disadvantage to me in terms of total number of readers, but a huge advantage in terms of the quality of conversation, because you can go and find people who are also really passionate about the book. Another example of this is the book Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, which is a book that I um, It's no secret. Like a lot, and uh, there was last summer, thousands of people read that book together and had this really high-quality conversation about it that occurred entirely on the internet. And my relationship with the book was deepened dramatically because of that. Uh, I'm a big believer that that can work. It works best when it's moderated and when it's thoughtful. Like there are plenty of book discussions that just don't go that um, that deeply because there aren't, um, you know, we sort of aren't like all pulling each other up to have the most interesting possible conversation about the book. So I think it works really well when it's moderated in some way, or, or frankly, when there are uh, adults around, whether they're librarians, or teachers, or writers, or, or whomever, uh, to sort of um, like, uh, you help us and we help you kind of thing. Um, and I forgot the other part of your question. Oh, how has literary nerddom changed? I can answer that very quickly, uh, just by saying that now, uh, the kinds of books that it's okay to like as a literary nerd, it's, mu- it's a much broader definition. It used to be that you could only really read James Joyce and Dostoevsky. And now, it, lo- lovely, um, you can read many, many, many books, um, which is nice. I mean, I love, I love Ulysses, but I'm also grateful that never, I don't have to keep reading it over and over and over again. I get to read other stuff.
0: But it's not maybe because uh, the geeks the nerds they've come out of the closet now and it's I think that you is know, yeah and they like,
1: they've said like it's okay yeah. it is yeah. i mean yeah. it is a kind of, it is a coming out um, as are all like you know uh, marginalized identities yeah. um, nerd isn't maybe as marginalized as it used to be but that's largely because people have said yeah, i am i, mean, y- I'm a I uh, my favorite comment uh, on youtube every time our videos are watched by non nerd fighters uh, which is a lot um, someone will write this guy is such a nerd. <laughs> or my favorite is when someone writes, this guy looks like a nerd. And uh, then a ton of people will reply, he doesn't just look like a nerd. He is a nerd. Uh, and the fact that like you can say that to me, about me, to this To this random commenter is wonderful, and if i don 't see it as an insult, I see it as a tremendous compliment. I mean what a compliment it is as uh, to say uh. I always say that like, when, when people say, when people make fun of nerds, what they're really making fun of is people who get really excited about the miracle of human consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> um, who are just really amped up about how great things are and, yeah. and uh, are okay with liking stuff. Um, as if it's so, so horrible to like stuff and be enthusiastic about stuff and, and to get excited about ideas. That's not insulting. I refuse to be insulted by people saying that I get excited about ideas. And do you
0: think the nerds will inherit
1: the earth? Oh, I think it's yeah, we already have. It's over. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> we already won that fight. Uh, another question, then, please. Yeah. Where would you like to go? Yeah. Person who I called on previously. <laughs> Bangs. Yes, you talking with the red hair yeah. ish. <laughs> I'm, I was just, Hi. Hi. Sorry, I um. called you Bangs. <laughs> <laughs> I also realized that that was inadequately descriptive. Now that I look around, I it means something different in this country as well. Oh God, like, does yeah. it? I'll, I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> I always worry about that. You know, they're like, uh, does it? Oh God, don't be some horrible euphemism. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, oh jeez. We'll brush, brush over it. <laughs> Hiya, um, you speak of mirrors a lot in Paper Towns. Yeah. I just wondered, with regards to your internet sort of personality, do you feel like it's really difficult to live up to maybe the reflection that people give to you? And then is it difficult to then live up to their expectations with your mirrored personality on the internet? Yes, that's a really interesting question. So Margot's last name in Paper Towns is Spiegelman, which is a German word that means mirror maker. Um, and. Margot is a mirror in the novel like the reason that she's so difficult to find after she disappears It's so difficult to under kind of uncover what happened to her is not because it's so difficult to figure out But because everyone who looks at Margot doesn't see Margot they see a reflection of themselves which is also a huge problem that all of us have because these are the only eyes that I get to see out of, because this is the only brain that I get to have. When I look at other people, I naturally see them kind of in the context of myself, and it's very difficult to see them as they see themselves. Uh, that's from Joyce. Um, I did read Ulysses. Uh, so, that, that, and that's like the huge challenge that, uh, that we all face and that, that a lot of, um, a lot of the things that we've invented to try to connect with each other are designed to do. They're designed to try to make us, to get us inside the mind of someone else. I think that's one of the main things that novels do really efficiently and really effectively, um, is to make people less like mirrors and and more uh, like windows so that you can see into them and and understand them and empathize with them, even when they're very different from you or or they disagree with you or whatever. Um, Yeah, that's really important in Paper Towns. It's also really important to me personally uh, and yes, it is really, really hard to live up to people's expectations, because I'm nothing, I'm, I'm not, of course, I'm not like the person in the videos, because I get to edit the videos extensively. Um, <laughs> and I get to turn 30 minutes of me into two minutes of me, and that makes me inherently 15 times more entertaining than <laughs> I actually am. Um, but uh, I, it's also, um, I worry about dis- disappointing people, of course. Um, but. Um, you know, I, I'm very lucky that, that we are uh, uh, not as much a tiered community as most um, kind of fan communities are. So that uh, you probably don't freak out as much when you see me as you would freak out if you saw, like, uh, who's the guy who plays Harry Potter? Daniel Radcliffe. Um, like, then you probably freak out pretty badly. Uh, or at least those of you who are Harry Potter fans, I know I would. If I saw Ivana Lynch, if she's here, is she here? Is <laughs> she here? Did you come? Ivana, are you here? No? OK. Um, I'd be really excited, and I'd freak out, and I'd like, uh, run up to her, and, ah! Uh, and generally, that, that doesn't happen, which is, which is nice for me, although um, I'm also very empathetic when it does happen, because, of course, I would do that to lots of people. So, yeah.
0: Well, I'm afraid we really have uh come to the end of uh, what well, has been a, a fantastic session. Sorry, did you want to... No, no, that was... No. Uh, we have come to the end of... of, of uh, genuinely, I thoroughly enjoyed... I hope you've enjoyed it uh, as much as I have, uh, meeting John and listening to John. Um, we are going to move through to the children's book tent, if anybody would like to get any uh, copies of the book signed. And the books are, of course, on sale in there. Again, please let me uh, get him there before you run out the tent like those people are there. Um, so... Would you please, before you disappear, give John a huge round of applause. Many more Edinburgh International Book Festival event recordings are available at
1: www.edbookfest.co.uk, along with a selection of videos.